Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back. Today we'll hear a conversation that I had with Christina Driscoll. Christina is the host of She's Brave podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to celebrating the stories of women who have overcome challenges and found the courage to pursue their passions and live a life full of purpose. In this episode, Christina shares her brave story and the unconventional parenting decisions she had to make while she was a caretaker for both her son and her husband. She shows us that sometimes you need to put your ego aside as a parent and make choices that are outside of the norm, but are the best thing for your child. We talk about academic pressure and the toll it takes on kids today. We explore a different way of parenting and education that will give our kids the confidence and competence they need to live a fulfilling life and a life of well-being. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast I want you to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your parenting journey. Hi, Efrat. It is so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I feel like I have led a somewhat unconventional life. I did spend a lot of time in my 20s on a spiritual journey. Um, some things had not gone the way I had planned. And decided to go into therapy and from there got into self-help books and really worked on my self-development. So when I was in my early thirties, I met, I was, I love to hike. I live in the Seattle area. I was, I signed up for a hike with a hiking group called the Mountaineers, which is still in existence today. And, um, when I drove to the trailhead, I got out of my car and locked eyes with the hike leader. His name was Bill Driscoll and just had this magnetic pull, you know, and maybe I shouldn't say magnetic. I mean, it wasn't just like this strong physical attraction. Yes, there was definitely, of course, attraction, but it was more like, I don't know, like, you know, when you sometimes just, there's just, you're, you're just like pulled to somebody and I had never been pulled to that level. So Unfortunately for me, that the hike trails on Mount Rainier are very narrow, single file only. So I literally had to elbow my way to the front of the crowd and get right behind him, the hike leaders, because I was like, I got to get to, I need to talk to this guy. Something's going on here. <laughs> and you know, when you just like meet somebody and you feel like you could talk to them for hours, like you feel like you've known them forever. That's how yeah. it was between me and Bill. So long story short, we... And speaking of short, he was shorter than me. I'm five <laughs> seven, and he he was about five five, you know. And to add to that, he was twenty four years older than me. Never married, never had kids. Wow. And six months later, we were married. We were engaged in one month and married in six. And you know that I think had I not done all that work on myself spiritually in my twenties, I feel like I. I don't know whether I would have been able to to tune the outside noise and just do what was right for me, be authentic to me, be authentic to myself and do what was right for me. Because here's the thing, when you're 100% authentic to what's best for you and your family and you know your life, other people sense it, mm -hmm. right? So they sense it. And they don't, they don't even challenge you on it. Like, I cannot remember a single time someone saying to me, gosh, wow, your husband looks a lot older than, than you, you know, and nobody said anything to him either. And I think it's because when people saw us, especially when we were together, they got it, you know, that we were doing what was right for us. And that was our journey, you know? So fast forward and four years later, we did have some infertility issues, which is kind of a whole nother story of itself. And I, you know, my heart goes out to people with infertility, but we did have a son and 
So life was beautiful and good. We lived in Oregon. And when our son was five, my husband was developed with early onset Alzheimer's. This was a huge blow. Um, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. There's a lot around that as well, but I'm not going to get into that today. But that is part of my podcast is why I started Cheese Brave is that I'm like, hey, guys, if I could if I can do it with an anxiety disorder, do what I'm doing, being in the top 2% globally in, in less than a year, you guys can do it too. So anyway, to fast forward from there, um, my husband declined and we realized that it would be better if we moved close to my husband's family, a very close-knit family. Um, I'm still actually really, my, my husband passed away a few years ago now. Um, oh. And uh, I'm still really, really close with his family. He's the oldest of four. So we moved to a suburb of Seattle that was a really high-tech area, but it was really, really close to my husband's family. And you know, eventually my husband had to go under care and, and sure enough, they, they stood up, you know, they, they were there for me. They visited my husband, um, because it's really hard as a caregiver to do it a hundred percent yourself. If there's nobody else visiting that person, because it's, yeah. it's hard on you emotionally. So, um, long story short, you know, we, we moved to Seattle, we got settled in. Um, it was a big change for my son because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very competitive, academically competitive environment in this suburb. And, you know, we had a lot of neighbors that worked, uh, work for Microsoft and, um, my son was basically a grade behind, not to say the Oregon schools are bad. Honestly, they're not. I think they're absolutely just fine. Um, but the teacher flat out told me we work a grade ahead here and, um, because the parents demand it and that, you know, we also, um, give out at least two hours of homework, even though he was only nine, um, wow. because the parents demand it. And so, you know, I had to put my son in tutoring and by the time my son was 13, he was just miserable. He was always that outdoor kid who likes to ski. He likes to hike. He likes to bike. He likes to skateboard. Not that he wasn't academic. He's actually very academic too, but he was not at the level of a lot of these kids. And I want to kind of explain why it was so hyper academic in our area, because I'm not blaming anybody like this, but I just, I want to I want to create more awareness around like too much academic pressure, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, and sometimes where it comes from and maybe more awareness with parents that don't be like too hard on your kids because it can backfire. And let me give you an example. I was at a barbecue with my next door neighbor, super cool guy. I, I adored him and his wife and they had a son the same age as my son and they were friends. My neighbor told me when I came over for the barbecue to get to know him for the first time, um, he said, I grew up in a tiny hut in China with a dirt floor, but I was the smartest kid in my village. And so I got to go to the best middle school. And he said, I worked really hard and I was the smartest kid in the middle school. So I got to go to the best high school. Well, fast forward, he ended up coming to the U.S., going to school and he has a PhD in computers and he has this fantastic job, you know, and a person like him, you know, the way he views the world is you have to be the top of your class. You have to, and if you're not, you're screwed basically. And so yeah. for someone like him, and I wouldn't even say he was actually one of like the he wasn't putting a huge amount of academic pressure on his kid. He actually I pretty much admire admire him, but in general, that story kind of tells the story of probably 90% of the people in my neighborhood and that the school that my kid attended was that they had to be the top of their class from whatever country they came from in order to, you know, get where they are today. And so they were really pushing their kids academically to be at the top of the class. Well, as we all know, we can't all be at the top of the class. Yeah. And that's okay. And um, I have never been of of really of that mindset. Although I've got some stories too about when my son was a teen, where I kind of I've been I, I read a book recently about um, this whole academic pressure subject, and I've learned a lot. And I feel like I I unconsciously you know maybe pushed my son a little too hard 
too. But um, that being said, and I apologies, Efret, I feel like I am just talking and talking, but this story is so important. And no, go we, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So when my son was 13, he seemed really, he seemed kind of a little depressed. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I have four suicidal friends um, that I'm trying to help. And and I'm, I'm just really stressed. And I really, really want to go back to Oregon because Oregon was where he grew, he was born and raised in a small town. And it's, it's where, you know, he met his friends literally in baby class. And those people are my, still my best friends today and a tight, tight friendships. We all helped each other out as moms and, um, you know, people that knew him his whole life and he, he didn't fit in and he didn't like living in the suburb of Seattle. And I, I was just like freaking out effort because I was like, how do I, what do I do? Because I can't really, if he and I move down there, then we got to move my husband down there. But then, you know, all of my husband's family is in the Seattle area. They're so good about visiting him. He has a visitor almost every day of the week, pretty much, you know, and it's not fair to him. All of a sudden it's just me, you know, visiting him in the care home. And so my son's happy. My husband's not, you know, and so I called up my best friend that night who lives in Oregon <laughs> and she actually is originally from Brazil. And, um, I, I told her, you know, what was going on. And she said, why don't you just have him? It was like right around spring break of eighth grade for him. And she said, why don't you just have him come down? finish up eighth grade here in Oregon, you know, in Eugene, Oregon, this town. I still love Eugene, by the way. Oh, you, I know you, Eugene listeners are out there listening. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I have a lot of Eugene, Oregon listeners. And, um, so, you know, she said, just have them come down. Um, she said in, in Brazil, we do this all the time. Um, she said, I wanted to be a dentist, which she did become a dentist. And I, I lived in a small town and, and I grew up with not just family, but friends, you know, sometimes I lived cause I needed to go to a certain school and I needed to live with friends or family. And in Brazil, we do this all the time. And she said, let's just give it a go. Let's try what, what do we have to lose? If he hates it, he can come back. Well, he loved it there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just took right off. He joined cross, he joined the track team and then in fall cross country and he did all this stuff. And, and so, you know, that, that worked great. But one part I do want to talk about too is, is the spiritual part and you can take from it what you want, you know, you may or may not get anything out of it, but it was one of the two times in my life where I literally, I got off the phone with her that night and I just said, God, universe, I need a sign. I need some kind of sign that this is the right thing to do. And I need it to be clear because this is, this is so unconventional effort. What would have been the easiest thing for me to do as, and the most selfish thing for me to do as a mom, it would have been for me to say, no, you need to stay here with me because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think. I'm ge- I'm afraid of what the Joneses next door are going to think. It's going to make me, uh, people are going to judge me. Some people are going to think I'm a bad mom. The list goes on, right? And, yeah. you know, I that would have been the easy solution to say, no, 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 we're not doing this because I want to look like a good mom. But I wanted to do what was best for him. So next morning, I got up. I just said, I need a message, God, please. I did set a prayer. Got up, went out to my mailbox. My neighbor comes out, asked him how his day was what was going. He said, it's going terrible. And I said, what's going on? And um, he was, they were originally from Romania and um, he worked for Microsoft and his wife was a doctor and their daughter was, was in a elevated, you know, um, accelerated program, you know, so she was brilliant, brilliant, wonderful girl. And she was a few years older than my son, a couple, two to three years older. And he said, you know, my daughter is, is, uh, actually she had a nervous breakdown and she's in the hospital right now. And he said, it's just too much academic pressure. He said, I just don't, I feel like the culture here is too much on the kids. And he said, you know, recently we had her 16th birthday party and like one of her closest friends, it was a Friday night, it was a sleepover. And, you know, her best friend was allowed to come for one hour. And then there was a knock at the door 
and the father said, you know, it's time to come home. You have to study, wow. you know, and, he, and that, that's the kind of thing that would go on. Mm. And, um, you know, and he just said, he looked at me and he said, we're, I think we're going to move back to Oregon because they had moved from Romania to Portland, Oregon, and then to Seattle. And he just was like, we're going to move back to Oregon. And I went, Oh my gosh, like, <laughs> here's your sign. what are the odds? Like, here's my sign. This guy's telling me this is not a good environment for my kid. We're going to move back to Oregon because he could easily find a job anywhere. And, um, you know, and then I just was like, okay, I'm doing this, but you know, I don't, I don't tell this story a whole lot of effort because it's, it's maybe somewhat controversial. I mean, what do you think? Well, first of all, I don't even know how to begin. I want to, I want to just start with saying that I'm sorry for your husband's loss um, and this incredible journey that you have been on um, so bravely right? Like she's brave podcast. That's right on spot. That's really um, shows your decisions in life, right? Just to be brave right. and follow your heart. And that's right. It's really, I really admire that. Um, and there's so much in this story, you know, the, the academic pressure and the toll that it takes on the kids and just the, the one size fits all narrative that people think that there is only one way of succeeding and that the, all, all the other ones are just going to be losers. I don't know what, you know, what, what people are thinking. And it's, it just breaks my heart to see the pressure that kids have on themselves today from the parents and from the society. And I think it's just incredible that you followed your son's lead and were able to take that society told on yourself, you know, with people thinking whatever they are thinking about you and you just didn't care, right? You said, I'm going to do what's best for my son. And that's the most important thing. And I really, really admire that. Thank you. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, I want to, I want to dive deeper. Um, Tell me more about, I, I was just very interested in hearing what you thought about that academic pressure and what, what is that toll and why is it, why is it that people get so anxious about it? What do you think? Yeah. So I think that actually I've been, I've been doing research on it. Um, I've been reading books about it and here's some of the answers that I'm getting. Um, I'll just give you, it's, it's a lot of things. So here's one example. So about 30 years ago, Yale had a 14% acceptance rate. Okay. Today it has a 3% acceptance rate. So these schools, you know, they haven't expanded, you know, like obviously our population has grown in 30 years, but the school is still taking the same amount of applicants. And um, so the acceptance rate has gone down. Like my son um, applied to what was considered an Ivy League. Um, well, I mean, not Ivy League. Well, kind of like what you call liberal arts Ivy League school that had a 14% percent acceptance rate called Colorado, Colorado college. And, um, he got in and, and it's interesting to me that that 14% acceptance rate would have gotten him into Yale 30 years ago, you mm. know, and, mm. and, um, long story, I'm not going to get into it, but he ultimately decided not to go to that school. And again, like you kind of have to ask yourself some of those questions and, Part of it was, you know, I, I technically I I don't I, I felt like I couldn't afford it, um, but also it, it was eighty thousand dollars a year, uh -huh. and I said to my son, like, you know, this is eighty thousand dollars a year, so do the math, three hundred twenty thousand dollars, and you know, you can go here or you know you can go to an in-state tuition school and it'll be. 20,000 a year and you can take whatever money's left and put a down payment on a house or, you know, do whatever. But like, does it really, is it really worth 80,000 a year? And I think the answer is no, personally, I do, you know? Um, and I think that there is a growing, I mean, I've been, as I said, I've been researching this. Um, there's a, there is a growing divide between um, the ultra rich 
the poor and the middle class is actually shrinking. And so the, especially like the middle class is panicking, like parents, we are panicking as a unit because we're shrinking. So it's like, you're either at the top or you're at the bottom and, you know, the, the, the middle class is shrinking. So parents start feeling like, I, my kid has to go to an Ivy league school. You know, my kid has to go to a really, really great school. And it's so, so, so hard to get into these schools. Like that's just that, 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 that one example of Yale is telling us how hard it is. Cause there's something like what, like 2,700 high schools in the U S. So if every valedictorian applied to Yale, then there'd be no spots left. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, it's so competitive now. Yeah. And so what happens is, is that the parents, um, the sports thing, like, you, you know, you have to pick one sport and be really, really good at it. And that requires like six, seven days a week sometimes, you know, all year round a lot of times. And yeah. um, the kids don't really have time to play um like they need that uh, you, you know the uns they also need to learn how to work out conflicts so my son had a lot of play time in Oregon a lot of, a lot of he's he's always been a super super social kid and so it was like play dates all the time but it was it's a town of 140,000 people and it only takes 10 minutes to go in any direction so we didn't mm. have the traffic issues that people have today so it was easy to kind of like meet at a park and he had a lot of unstructured time and one part of the story that i skipped over but i'm going to mention here is um before we moved to seattle we actually spent about three years in a small town called Bellingham, right near the Canadian border. And we picked a house in a cul-de-sac because we saw a bunch of kids running around mm -hmm. and because our son loves, and they were all around his age because <laughs> he loves being around other kids. And those kids, they lived the way kids did a generation ago. So they, uh, thank God, I don't know, like there was something about the culture in Bellingham and in that cul-de-sac where, you know, there was forest all around. There was a dirt road in the winter. It snowed quite a lot up there. Um, it was it was a road where there were no cars. They would sled from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm not even kidding you. That's amazing. You know, they would build ramps. They would, you know, in the summer they would, uh, there were, there were little baby rabbits that they would, they would, you know, capture for like an hour, you know, and then they let it go. And, you know, they would, they would play with the tadpoles. They played with the frogs and there were 14 kids. And, you know, I had a trampoline. I had a, um, we built fires. I taught the kids how to build fires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd have them go foraging in the woods for, for twigs. And then we, we, we would cook hot dogs. We would, you know, so he had this very wholesome childhood until we moved to this really crazy suburb. I mean, it, it's not crazy. It just is. It is. It's nobody's fault. Like what I've been trying to say, what I'm just trying yeah. to do is create more awareness around it, you know? Yeah. And what I've been learning in the research is that as parents, we can, really unconsciously even put academic pressure on our kids by when they come home with that straight A report card being like overly excited about mm. it. So like we're not, I mean, they, it, it's like, I, I have realized that, wow, I think I put a lot of academic pressure on my son unknowingly. He 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 went to the it's called an international baccalaureate program so it was a school within his school he did go to a small high school 1200 kids um if he had stayed in seattle his high school was 3000 students bill gates has done studies where he's actually doing them um studies of how teens do in smaller high schools because there's more accountability because the teachers actually get to know the the kids and the mm. kids actually perform better. So big high schools are actually a detriment to um, a lot of kids. And so that was another reason why I didn't really want him going to high school where we lived in Seattle. So he went to a small high school of 1,200 kids 
And within that, he he chose to go into an even smaller class of about 70 kids that he went all through high school. It's called an international baccalaureate. And it's very academically rigorous and did that, you know. So um, but as parents, like we can get into a pattern of praising them for their achievements. And I did this. I am guilty as charged. Like when he was, he was a really good runner. You know, he actually set a record in ninth grade in long distance running for his school all time record. But, you know, and it's like, I would, uh, I was like, you know, it's, it's, I look back on it now effort and it was my ego. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it then, but now I do. I'm like, that was my parenting ego coming out. And if there would be one piece of advice that I would give your listeners today on this recording is watch your ego as a parent, Mm -hmm. watch your ego, because are you doing things for your kid based on your ego or what's best for them? And, you know, the things that I would get excited about were, you know, his, his sports achievements, his academic achievements. I never said like, Hey, you have to get straight A's, but I, the pressure was there and really what we should be focusing more on is things like praising our kids for learning to live a balanced life, like taking a break, you know, from studies and, or, you know, them going hiking with us or, or exercising just for, for the sake of their mental health, health and praising them for that, praising them for being a good friend Mm -hmm. to another friend, praising their character, praising their integrity, you know? And so everything that I've been reading is really all about things like, one parent in ninth grade decides to hire a private math tutor for their child. Um, that does their child need a math tutor? No, but they still want their their kid to be the top of the class. Well, then all the other parents find out, well, so and so hired a math tutor. Well, now I have to hire a math tutor. So all of a sudden, everybody's got tutors. I actually refused to hire tutors. Now, had my son been failing something, I would have hired a tutor, a tutor, of course. But as long as he was doing reasonably well, I just was not going to get into that game of tu- of hiring a tutor. Yeah. There's so much pressure on parents. It's just crazy. You know, I, I, it's, you're right. It's nobody's fault. It's just the pressure, the outside pressure of the society. And it's not easy to not listen to that. I think you have to be very, very connected to yourself um, and very connected to other values in order to live in integrity to another type of decision, right? Like choose differently for your family. It's it's really not easy. Um, it's, yeah, I just wanted to say um, one other thing about that too. Um, just about the the values and things like that. Like my dad just turned 90 on Sunday. And wow. <laughs> you know, I have I have some relatives, um, cousins, three that live well, we'll just say actually there there were five families that had kids in in middle school, and none of them could make it on Sunday to my dad's party because their kids had activities. So Mm. kids have activities all weekend long and they're missing out on important family gatherings. Like when I was a child, I remember being at my great grandmother's 90th birthday. I remember being at my grandmother's 90th birthday, you know, and you know, the family gatherings with all the relatives. And again, like I'm not blaming the parents. Did you know, this is fascinating too. I'm, I'm Gen Gen X and the amount of time that my parents spent with me is way less than the amount of time that even I spent with my son, um, that they've done studies and the amount of time that parents spend with their kids is way higher now than it was in the seventies and eighties and mm-hmm. maybe even into the nineties, way higher because the parents are like, okay, well, we've got to get you to the math tutor. We've got to get you to your music lessons. We've got to get you to your sports events. Um, 
you know, I need to help you with your homework. That was another thing I refused to do. My parents never helped me with my homework. Not once, not, not once in my entire life. And my son, um, I may have helped him a couple times on a, on, on something, but I always felt like you need to figure this out. Like, this is your responsibility. Um, he was in fifth grade and he almost flunked <laughs> because I wasn't micromanaging his homework. So that's something else is that parents are really having to put a lot of time and effort into managing their kids' homework. I didn't, I just said, I'm not doing this. So he got very poor grades for a term. And that actually was, that made him very unhappy. So he actually learned how to be very disciplined from in grade five. So, um, but we spend, and you know, think about it. Most of us work full time and yet we're still spending way more time with our kids than our parents ever did. The amount of pressure that it, it has on us is taking a toll too. Yeah. It's just not normal. It's just not normal. Um, you know, I was thinking about a few things while you were talking and I, the, the value of that unstructured time of just playing and not being told what to do and how to play and what are the rules and being in this competitive environment is so, so beneficial for kids and for adults, for all of us. We need that downtime. We need unstructured time, time um, in order to learn about ourselves, what we like, what we don't like, um, in, in dealing with conflict with other kids, learning about our environment, learning about our body, how it moves, what's safe and what is not safe. There is so much value in that, that many, many kids are just missing nowadays. And it's, it's really just sad. Um, and I love the term that you said, you said wholesome, wholesome childhood. And I think that's, that's so on point. It's just, shows how there is there is a whole uh, there is a whole of different experiences that as human beings we want to experience we need to experience and if we focus only on one very very narrow aspect with it, which is the academic aspect we miss out on all the other things that we can learn from that we can grow from we can learn about ourselves we can learn about society we can you know all the values that you are talking about the spending time with family um it's just it's it's a whole world out there and we're just focusing on one very very narrow aspect a very tiny way of of looking at life you know what Absolutely. is what is life what what are we here to do what what makes us successful? What doesn't make us successful? What is success, right? It's like, it's this huge question. And for some reason, um, our society leans towards only academic success is, is what works. And I think it has to do a lot with the fact that we are very, we're looking for, to put to put a number on it, right? We To know, is it good? Is it, is it not good? We We know how, if it's a good grade, okay, then we know it's good. If, if they attended this and this uh, amount of days to school, we know this is good. If they went to uh, to sport and they go five days, five days a week, this is good. So we always have to kind of put a, um, put a number on it in order to say whether it's good on and not good. And we, we're disconnecting from what feels good inside, which this is something that we can't put in a, in, in a number. We can't give a grade to how we feel good or to how we feel inside. Does it feel good to me? Is it authentic? Uh, you know, it, am I listening to my inner voice? Am I living an authentic life? All these questions are just being thrown out when we focus on just one way of achievement and one way of success. Yeah. it That reminds me of one other story that I wanted to talk to you about. You know, parents nowadays are very, very involved with communicating with teachers, whereas like my mm. parents' generation didn't talk to the teachers at all. Um, the the parents try to intervene a lot on behalf of their children. And when my son was in sixth grade, um, he decided to do cross country and he was good at it, you know, and that was in the fall. And um, the, the cross country coach was old school. He was kind of grumpy and he'd kind of yell a little bit at the kids. But when I saw, like I volunteered 
you know, for some of the events. And he was fascinating, this man, because he was managing the high jump. And the kids would have to know, like they knew what time they had to be over at this part of the field to, to show up to do their 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 jump. And if they didn't show up, he'd be like, too bad, you missed your slot. And that was mm -hmm. still like a super great life lesson right there that he was mm -hmm. teaching the kids. But but I have to tell you something funny. So when my son started cross country in sixth grade, you know, with this this kind of grumpy, but I think excellent coach, um, he came home from school and he said, Mom, you know, Coach Smith, you know, uh, that's not his real name. Coach Smith ignores me. He knows some of the kids' names, like some of the older kids, but he he doesn't even know my name. You know, he just, he just, you know, like ignores me. And I said, well, that's because you have to work hard. Although again, like I said, if you want to be good in running, he'll start remembering your name, but that's on you. You know, it was almost like he wanted me to call up the teacher and and say that, you know, well, you're not paying attention. Like he was, he was kind of almost going there where he was like, he wanted me to call up and complain that the teacher wasn't giving him enough to attention. And I said, in life, you're going to have bosses who ignore you or are grumpy with you or who, who yell at you. And you, this is an important lesson to learn right now that it's okay. You know, sometimes you have to get through stuff that's uncomfortable. You like running, but you don't like your coach very much. And, um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not calling him to complain about anything. I'm not. And it was like, he was kind of testing me. Cause I think some of the other kids, maybe, you know, they, they got their parents involved with things. And another time in high school, when he was in Oregon, you know, he was like, mom, like, you know, the teacher docked my grade because I was talking like, can you, can you call him? And I said, nope, nope, <laughs> that's on you. Like, I am not calling the teacher because you were talking out of line and, you know, any doctor grade, that's not on me, you know? Yeah. It's just the natural consequences of life, which is, which are the best teachers. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can't save our kids forever from having bad or hard experiences. And the more they get the practice, when they're young and they still have us to lean on and they still have us to cry to cry with um it's it's better because then you know when they grow up they don't know how to deal with these uncomfortable situations and they they maybe won't have that shoulder or someone to to help them um so i think yeah i, I think you know if if we just let them deal with whatever life brings their their way and just stand beside them while like they analogy stand beside them it wasn't like i'm like yeah you know and had it been truly something really really unfair yeah. yes of course you know but yeah you know stand beside them support them that way yeah exactly exactly you don't have to take over their life you don't have to save them from anything you just have to be there next to them and mm -hmm. feel empathy empathy to right. what they're to what they're going through and show them that you're you're there for them if they if they want to cry you're there for them if they're upset and you're there for them if they're disappointed and and you're going to sit next to them until they feel better and you can advise you can give advice if they want to right? It's, right normally they don't want the advice they just want somebody to to sit with them in that hard moment and that's it. And then mm -hmm. they can solve their own problems. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what do you think, like if we do give our kids the opportunity to deal with, you know, life difficulties, what kind of qualities will they uh, grow up with? Yeah. So I think that if we if we give our children maybe a little more freedom, um, it gives them confidence. So sometimes, like even when I said, okay, so the coach is, doesn't know, doesn't know your name and he, he yells at you and, but you know, like it's, it's up to you. Like you can either, you know, if you work harder, he'll remember your name. And it, it's ironic because that coach kept in touch with me for a long time after my son went down to Oregon and mm -hmm. wanting to know how he was doing. Cause mm -hmm. so he definitely, 
But I think that, uh, I think that when we let, and even that, like the homework thing I was talking about, I think it gave my son confidence. Like I can do it myself. Like my mom doesn't have to help me with my homework. So if we can kind of step back a little bit, and I know this is really, really hard in today's world. I, like what I said, I've gotten deeply curious about it myself because my son is struggling with some anxiety right now, you know, in college. And I was like, why did this happen? Like, I'm just getting really vulnerable here. Like, Mm. I'm getting really vulnerable. I'm like, what did I do wrong as a parent? Like, how, what happened here? Why is this whole generation of kids so anxious? Like, and especially when I talk about it, I can't believe how many parents are like, oh, well, my kid has the same thing. My kid's going through the same thing. And I started realizing it goes back to this academic pressure and the kids start feeling the pressure on themselves and you know, even if it's like, even if you are that parent, please don't beat yourself up. Society has, we are all doing it. We are all unconsciously just like, this is the way we parent. But if you can even just take like one tiny step back, like I look at the way my dad parented me and I feel like he was the perfect parent. I mean, who says that? But I do. Okay. Um, Because he was the person who was like, go for it, try it. It's okay to make mistakes. You can do it. I'm here if you need me, but go try it on your own. And I've tried to parent that way with my son too. So even if you are that parent that's like, oh my gosh, like I am helping my kid with my homework every night. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to just go cold turkey. I'm just saying maybe like say if your kid comes to you, say, okay, I want you to, I want you to really try to tackle this for the next 10 minutes. And if you're still stuck, I'll come and help you, Mm. you know, and the next time do 15. So I think that we could take these tiny micro steps in helping our children to become more independent. And when they, as they gain this independence, they gain the confidence and then the anxiety lessons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, and I think it's it's so counterintuitive. I mean, it's not counterintuitive. It's just counter to our society norms. I yeah, think counter, it's very it's intuitive. Exactly, yeah. I think yeah. it's very intuitive. Um, and it's actually very relieving for parents, I think, to know that, oh, this is not my responsibility. This is my child's responsibility that's a relief. You know, we're asking parents, you know, in, in, in adopting this new type of parenting or this alternative way of parenting, we're asking parents to step back. We're asking them to be less involved. We're asking them not to, not to solve their kids' problems. So you have your own things you have to deal with as, as an adult. Yeah, we and have that's another, so much on that's another, Yeah, that's another great example. Like you said, not to solve our kids' problems. Like, yeah. you know, take a baby step and, and when your kid comes to you to ask to help solve a problem and say, like, why don't you try to figure that out with your friend first? And if it doesn't work, then I'll help you. Like, you know, if you're that parent that's just having major anxiety right now, listening to this conversation, just, you know, do it in like tiny steps. Just say, you know, like text your friend, tell them how you're feeling. And then if it's still going bad, yes, I'll get involved, you know, but like, just take giving them a little baby step more into control. And that was one of the things that my son learned from living in Eugene and Bellingham was he really learned really great, um, relationship skills because, Mm. you know, and again, he pulled a card on me. Sometimes he would come to me. There was one little girl who was pretty headstrong. I adored her. And, um, but you know, he and her butted heads and sometimes he'd come to me and he'd say, mom, you know, Mary, she, that's not her real name. Mary did, you know, said this or did that. And I said, okay, you know, go work it out with her you know, and talk it, talk it through, tell you, say how you're feeling. She could ask her how she's feeling, you know, and after a while he stopped doing that. Yes, they still butted heads. Yes, they still bickered, but they worked it out amongst themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We have to give them tool tools. We have to give them the tools, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. our, our job is to give them the tools, but let, let them figure out 
their own way in the world. We give them yeah. the tools, we, we give them the skills, but they figure out on themselves because it's they can learn theoretically how they need to deal with conflict, but they're not going to really learn until they deal with conflict by themselves. Yeah. And I love the idea of taking tiny spe- tiny steps towards this approach. Like give your give your kids 10 minutes to work by themselves in their homework and then give them a little bit more time and a little bit more time and give them give them the give let them let them do um let them decide by themselves on one area that you're yeah. that they're not deciding right now for themselves and then give them another area because we don't want to raise in, incompetent adults right we yeah. want our yeah. kids to be confident we want them to know that they can do things by by themselves we want them to be greedy we want them to be in um, um mature and independent so we we can't control their way up to adulthood we need to give them the freedom so they will become the the fullness of who they are and who they are able to become I love that. That is like so well said. Thank you. <laughs> wow, Christina, this is this was just an amazing conversation. I feel like it's so powerful and it's it's inspiring, you know? It's it gives it gives me hope and and I think that if parents just give themselves a break, you know, just give yourself a break. You have so much on yourself. You have your job, you have your, you have your house, you know, you have other friendships that you want to have, right? You have your self-care to take care of. You don't have to work so hard as a parent. You actually don't have to work so hard. If you take care of yourself good, your kids are going to be fine. And I just want to add, please don't beat yourself up. I want to yeah. say that to your listeners. Please don't yeah. beat yourself up if if you are doing things the way pretty much everybody's doing them. You're just doing, we are tribal creatures. You know, we lived in small villages, you know, and in little communities 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago. And if we, you know, kind of broke out of the mold, sometimes we could be, that could be a death sentence. That could mean that we were kicked out of our tribe and that was the end of it. So we tend to want to fit in. We tend to want to do what other parents are doing. So please don't beat yourself up because you probably are doing a lot of these things, but also know that there's another way and it doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a year or two or three or more, but you can gradually make these little incremental changes and help your kids gain that confidence that they're going to need for their life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you said uh, the way that you framed it, right? Like we are, we are by default, um, tribal tribal people right we want to fit in the in the community so yeah don't feel bad that you're doing those things it's and and i think that the more conversations like this we put out there the more people will understand that there are there there is another tribe that maybe i can't fit in with another type of people or another type of parents or just this alternative way of thinking so so yeah so you're all doing the best you can we're all doing the you know, best our, we can. You know, I'm just going to say this, Efren. I know that you're an, a, a new podcaster, but this is what I see for your future. I see you building a tribe of parents doing it this different way. And that's what we all need as parents. We need support in doing our parenting in a, in a bit of a different way than what's normal right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually in the making while we're talking because Fantastic. I'm part of a community of incredible people who see you know, education in a different way and who see parenting in a different way. And we're, we're building something different. And it's I just, love it. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, it's phenomenal. There are other options out there. Yeah. So thank you so much, Christina. This was such an interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Efret.
What a brave journey Christina has had. Here are the main takeaways from the conversation. Number one, in our society, we have come to believe that there is only one way to have a successful life, and it's through academic achievement. Number two, in today's world, students have much less chance to get accepted to Ivy League schools than in the past, so the pressure on them is much bigger. Number three, because the middle class is shrinking, people may feel that if their kids are not in those top schools, then their future is at risk. Number four, the pressure to get into a top school is taken away from other values and skills that are essential for living a fulfilling life and a life of well-being. If a child has to focus his whole childhood on getting great grades and at excelling at one sport, then they are missing out on exploring what they love to do, how to be bored, how to problem solve, social skills, learning about their body, being in nature and having unstructured time, which is so essential for people's mental health. Number five, we as parents can put pressure on our kids unconsciously by praising them for good grades or sports achievements when we could be praising them for working hard, persisting, problem solving, being a good friend, having a good character or good morals. Number six, parents today spend much more time with their kids, but it's spent in trying to control their days, driving them from place to place, helping them with homework, hovering over them too much. Number seven, in fact, what our kids need is more freedom, more places where they can fail, more places for them to deal with life challenges and learn from natural consequences. Number eight, if you feel like you are over-involved in your kid's life without self-judgment, try to take tiny steps back and see where there are areas where you can give them more control. You can stay involved by being beside your kid as they work out their own challenges. Number nine, our job as parents is to give our kids tools and let them practice those tools in the real world while they have us as a secure base and a safe haven to come back to. Number 10, having more sense of control is directly correlated to less stress and anxiety. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll talk to you next week. you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.